so as you go through this process of prototyping and testing, what you're uncovering is what users really value, uh, which allows you to hone and sharpen your product so that it's uh, focused on those users and what uh, they really care about, delivering the most important things up front. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Each Another, a podcast about designing for people and business. My name is Tom Cunningham. I'm a senior visual designer here with Each Another. And today I'm joined by two of my colleagues, uh, one of our principal designers, Mr. Brian Heron. Hi, Brian. Hello, Tom. And one of our senior UX designers, another Brian, Mr. Brian Guff. Hi. The word prototype used to make me think of some top secret military experiment. Um, it's not a word most people would use regularly, and it might sound uh, intimidating to some, but fret not, because we've got you covered. So guys, what do we mean when we talk about prototypes? Um, I think that for a lot of people, perhaps, who are outside of our industry, and I think that um, principally the people we, we would like to speak to here, uh, prototyping is seen as a kind of black box, you know, or um, best case scenario, it's seen as a way of failing, uh, which doesn't always necessarily uh, make people feel comfortable about what it is we're doing. But ultimately, the way we use prototyping in a design process is uh, it's a way of asking a question about the problem that we're trying to solve. And so prototypes rely heavily on how we framed that problem and the type of question we're asking. I don't know, Brian, you might have a different opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, in design, you there's two things that set design apart as a method from other ways of interrogating how something should be or changing things. Design differs because it creates options, uh, areas to explore. And the second thing that design does is that you have concrete conversations. My colleague, John Wood, has impressed those two points on me uh, over the years. Where prototyping comes in is in both those aspects. Prototyping is a way of cheaply creating options for us to see what a future or potential futures might look like. Um, and then it's also a way of having these uh, this idea of concrete conversations. So we're looking at something that is in some way expressed in the real world, uh, but without having to develop it at a huge expense. If you're looking at a business transformation program and you're considering spending you know, five million on it, you want to look for ways to explore the potential for success or for failure uh, early, get your mistakes made cheaply uh, without your competitors seeing them um, and reaching a, a, a clear way forward. And prototyping is a way of doing that. I think that's key, actually. It's the, the, the learning and failing fast. Um, and, you know, the word failure kind of sets alarm bells ringing in people's head. But if you have an idea and quite often ideas and concepts or products um, they sound great in your head and it, you might be com feel compelled to get an engineering team together get them building something out okay you make a project for six months this the users are definitely going to use this and love this uh, only to find that it falls flat in its face i think a prototype is, is a question um or it's an idea and ideas are kind of are nebulous so on the, what what a prototype does is effect effectively make something tangible that you can put in front of people and test it and see if it's if actually if you can actually validate it. I think the questioning thing is really interesting, right? Because I think it's prototype is a way of asking uh, a different style of question to try and get to the same answer that you that other um, elements of the business is trying to ask. So to make that clear, uh, marketing asks, "Would you questions? Would you buy this? Would you use this? Would you do this?" Whereas prototyping. Uh, turns out almost into a past tense uh, or a present tense ask, do they do this? 
you can actually see what a user is going to do, how, to, how they're interacting with the product, and it takes it, as you said, into a tangible space in a far faster way. So you're getting concrete answers. You're not in some focus group, you know, trying to come back with something about what the mythical uh, demographic is going to respond to. Instead, you're actually working with your active users, testing against the prototype and seeing what works. People have been prototyping for for hundreds of years. You look back to uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and he's got his sketches, and you know he had had, had all, all these ideas of flying machines, and I'm sure he took them to a certain level. Um, but it's something that's that when you have something physical that you can actually test, you can see why it works, why it doesn't work, and then you can very quickly decide to keep it, uh, refine it, reiterate on it, or just bin it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've been interested in, in looking at sort of historic examples of this. And one story I've been paying close attention to in the last few weeks is the one of the invention of human flight. Most people, if you were to ask them about human flight and who was responsible for pioneering it or inventing it, um, they would probably tell you the Wright brothers. Um, and it, it brings in this kind of uh, narrative that the Wright brothers somehow magically achieved human flight, which is not true. And as you mentioned, Leonardo, uh, da Vinci there before previously uh, many other names I think that are probably lost to the history of time or to the winds of time but there's one name that appears before the Wright brothers that not many of us will be familiar with but is crucial and that's Otto Lilienthal who was a German uh, engineer who was the first man really to pioneer human flight um, okay he didn't do it with a motorized uh, aircraft he did it using gliders but his uh, knowledge, his development of knowledge around wing form and how birds fly, and uh, he really was the first person to sort of scientifically test aviation. Uh, the problem for Otto Lilienthal, sadly, is that he died um, performing one of his, his, his many experiments uh, in, in flying. Uh, and therefore, uh, what he had written and everything he had learned had been passed on for the Wright brothers to take up. Uh, all the way over in Ohio, and Dayton, Ohio. And uh, the Wright brothers were two bicycle makers, really. They were also self-educated. They hadn't been to college or anything like that. But they were avidly interested in many things, um, particularly aviation. And through a very sort of gradual process of uh, prototyping and refinement, as you just said there, Tom, um, they reached a stage of uh, human flight, but not before uh, designing and testing kites and not before designing and testing gliders which they flew at a very safe distance from the ground so they could actually survive themselves because the way they saw the problem was it was more about uh, the experience of the pilot and the ability for the pilot to use the craft not about the craft itself which is also interesting for me that is interesting so it's kind of more from uh, the it's, it's thinking about the the user and right. uh, how they actually perform the tasks themselves. And giving them control of the craft. As opposed to a, a more technical focus that's... Yeah, I mean, Abel Lilienthal was brilliant in, in terms of what he understood about aviation and wing span and uh, wing shape and form, etc. But he was his mental model, the question he was asking, or the way he framed flight was around the boat. How do you sail this thing in the wind? How do we learn how the wind operates? But the way the Wright brothers framed it was very much in the way that you would uh, look at a bicycle. It needed a way to steer. So it involves not just the mechanism of steering, but also the ability for the rider to shift their weight along with the steering and therefore um, have fluidity with the machine. Lillian Thal played, paid the, the kind of ultimate price, but from a business level in modern days, you could take a similar approach. If you don't properly prototype a product that you've got, you put a lot of effort behind it and push, as I said, engineering teams behind it, and then only to, to put it out in front of users and just find that it fails and you're fine it's it's an expensive lesson 
Absolutely. Um, and I think that this also might seed into something that uh, Brian had said earlier on about the uh, multiple, the sort of approach we have with design where we're looking at multiple different solutions. So uh, prototypes need flexibility. We need to have the ability perhaps to fail many times, uh, you know, in a safe way. Uh, if you like, getting back to it, like Lillian Powell only had one solution to the problem, whereas the Wright brothers were testing many and that's probably what uh, guaranteed them the success that they had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they were creating prototypes, yes, but they had a very clear goal of what they were trying to do, and they were also in a race against the time um, to uh, produce something that, that was they weren't sure if it was possible at all. I mean, they had ideas about how it might work. A lot of the times in business, you are working towards solutions that are possible that you are aware of that either work in other industries or are replacing business functions that already exist in some capacity that are offline uh, and you're trying to bring them uh, online and self-serve for, for instance um so you are doing things you know are possible in some capacity what you're trying to do in prototyping a lot of the time in um business is to try and fit the product or fit the new solution to in a way that's going to be acceptable to the market to either grow your revenue uh, to find new customers or to service your existing customers in a way that's more successful for them and probably cheaper for you. Uh, the risk, of course, is that uh, that you go down roads that aren't uh, that don't make business sense and that either don't meet uh, expectations um, that you've already set either internally or externally, or that are expensive um, and re result in uh, a business exposure that you hadn't planned on. I suppose most products. You're not trying to create a brand new form of transportation. Right. It's much more nuanced. So I think that the point that Brian Goff is making as well is that the fact that if you have numerous iterations that you can test, you can whittle it down and see what is the best experience for the user, what's the most successful way to complete a task, um, what's what's the best idea. I think what it comes down to is this idea of risk. You know, we hear a lot about... Uh, you know, the innovator's dilemma, you know, you have a business that is uh, grounded in doing one thing well, and then there's the risk of shifting uh, to do something else that's tangential or adjacent to it. Uh, and you risk, you know, cannibalizing your own business. And the classic example of that was Apple's um, iPhone, which cannibalized their iPod business, but they were willing to do it to move forward. It's one of the classic examples. Where prototyping can come in is that it's a way of asking difficult questions that the business may not necessarily be ready to know the answer for and they're not willing to invest massive amounts of resources to make on a big play on a big bet what prototyping can do is to help start conversations internally uh, with a little bit of grounding and proof so it's not just four people bullshitting in a boardroom instead it comes down to four people talking about the results of an actual prototyping test um with a great example uh, really recently with a client where uh, they had come up with an idea uh, for an educational tool for their for their uh, service and uh, they had gone to internal design teams and the internal design teams had been like oh we're not sure about this go prototype it go test it and we helped and facilitated uh, that and right near the start of the testing process we had users come in and interact with the prototype that they built um, and right near the start of it within two user tests they were questioning whether this thing should have been even considered uh, or even brought to the state that it's in now by the end of the test they actually had really clear direction not only maybe not on whether to complete this product but on, on the gaps or missing between their interpretation of what the users were actually going to value or what they needed to learn to to uh, have a better onboarding experience of their service 
Um, so this idea of prototyping is not just about this idea of failing fast, which I think is, it's not the right way to look at it. We use that sort of idea in that Silicon Valley, it's okay to fail, try things, break things, move fast. Uh, I don't really agree with it. Like, because if you are getting really clear information that your prototype isn't right, and yet there's still uh, valuable information coming from the testing, that's actually a clear result. It gives you paths to move forward. So it's not a failure. It's helping you adjust and get closer to what the solution should be. Um, and so prototyping is not something that, you know, we've been talking about prototyping as almost like it's a physical thing and it doesn't have to be. You can prototype something abstract. You can prototype uh, a service that exists uh, over the course of a year, which is obviously a more difficult thing to get a concrete answer on. And that's a challenge that we have to face. How do we prototype things when there's uh, when there's no thing to prototype? You're trying to prototype an idea. Uh, but we've uh, recently done it with brochures. Uh, we've recently done it with services. And uh, the challenge is to find ways to make those uh, ideas that are being discussed in boardrooms tangible, testable, so you can come back with answers fast and then, and then develop the next stage of the, the product or the next stage of the, the service. Right, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, we have been talking about physical prototypes, but again, if you're going to try and prototype a service, how do you do that? You know, there, there are different methods and tools for, for being able to prototype a service. The real value, I suppose, is that uh, people can actually see it and they're seeing the same thing. So it's like an element of phenomenology uh, with a prototype that people are able to sort of see a map of the idea that you're actually trying to uh, look at or the problem you're trying to solve. Um, prototypes uh, from a testing perspective are, are, a great, are a great way of uncovering what users are really going to value. So you, you, we see clients who come in with an idea, they want to test uh, a particular type of interaction. Um, you know, will this uh, swiping tool work? Uh, should we use a drop down instead of um, a list? Whatever it is, they'll come in with very specific questions on the interaction elements of, of what they want to test. Uh, and nearly always what comes out of it is that these these interaction elements are far less relevant than the way that users interpret using the, the tool or service. Uh, so as we go through this process of prototyping and testing, what you're uncovering is the is real what users really value, uh, which allows you to hone and sharpen your product so that it's uh, focused on those users and what uh, they really care about, delivering the most important things up front. The thing is, regardless of whether you want to invest in prototyping before launch or after launch, you're going to end up prototyping the idea anyway. Um, you know, it, trying the, the point of prototyping is to, be able to front load a lot of things very quickly and very cheaply. Once you've launched your product out into, into the outside world, you're going to get the feedback and the data anyway about how people are using the product or not using the product, whether those features you thought were valuable are valuable at all, or should they be stripped out. And it's a much harder thing to correct uh, once it's out there in the wild. So this is why prototyping makes a lot more sense. It's a lot more painful to try and make those tweaks afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a lot less cost effective, obviously. It's really expensive to change products and it's a bit like turning an oil tanker around. Yeah, I mean, it is a lot more painful once it's launched, uh, but people want to put off that pain as long as possible. And I, I can understand that. It can be a really, as we've all experienced user testing here, where we've had humbling experiences where something that we were, that was core to what we were trying out has fallen flat in its face and a really difficult thing uh, to to uh, accept sometimes and the only way that makes you accept it is that you've had six people in a row all telling you that uh, your um, design or navigation just isn't isn't the right approach uh, we are used to that right we're used to um, 
you know, creating options, throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what works. Uh, but internally in organizations, in corporate organizations particularly, they're not used to doing that. They're not used to showing uh, uncertainty. Um, even selling uh, uh, our services to clients becomes really difficult sometimes because we have a really clear set of method and a set of process and you know here we're going to do some research and here we're going to do some prototyping and here we're going to do some testing and when they say well what are you going to prototype and test and we have no idea because we haven't uncovered where the focus of the project should be and prototyping uh, opens itself up to uncertainty and uncertainty is not something that businesses can deal with well on a on either a small level or a big level but the weird thing is is that accepting uncertainty in the case of prototyping accepting the risk that what you have may not hit the mark but that will help you understand where that mark should be uh, by accepting those small bits of risk you're actually de-risking a much wider piece of work a much more expensive piece of work and so those small elements of risk and uncertainty must be expected uh, at rather accepted by businesses uh, if they want to mitigate that larger risk i guess we're all we're talking an awful lot about mitigating risk but i think also it's important to point out that prototyping uh opens up opportunities that you may not necessarily have seen had you not walked through the process whether it's a physical prototype whether it's a sort of hypothetical prototype prototyping before launch uh, you can set yourself up for success in terms of the kind of data uh, and the feedback you're getting from users and how they're using the product, whether that be A-B testing or other methods of collecting data. And that can just then be fed back into the loop uh, and then you can start reiterating again, build another prototype and, uh, you know, it's cyclical, so it keeps going. Sure, and if you've got a digital product, it doesn't stop at launch, it just kind of begins at launch. So you're going to be constantly refining, constantly iterating and testing. Some things will work, some things will fail. You'll 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 prototype something, user test it, you think it's a great idea, you'll put it out there and it might not get the adoption that you thought it would and it might be a feature that you need to kill later. But um, it's it, it's an effective way of, of weeding out the, the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's the, the difficulty is to communicate then to the client or even to your internal teams about when projects stop. Right, it, you know what our clients always want is is or many of our clients expect is a single end piece, and then you're done, and you know it'll launch to great success, and everyone's uh, metrics go up, and it's huge fanfares. The problem is people often uh, put it into the we'll fix it in post category, like movies. You know, it's like okay, it's not quite perfect, but we'll fix it again later. So you go into it knowing that compromises have been made already, and then it doesn't have the results that you expect. And but there's no actual budget, time, or even potentially long-term intent to fix the the problems with the design. So you can have, and I think that's absolutely right to to view digital design as always on a trajectory of change. Uh, but unless that change is planned for near the beginning, unless it's viewed that release is just another stage on a on a longer roadmap for improvement, then you can run into into real difficulty, and it can create a sense of underachievement in the organization too. Um, yeah, viewing first release as as prototype, I think, is a smart way to to go about it. Having said that, first release must also succeed, because if it doesn't succeed, the will to continue will die. I think a really good uh, case study for that exact point is if you look at the gaming industry, before you would be you'd buy a game and you'd pick up if you if you finished it'd be in the package you take it out and there's not nothing would ever change you'd put it in your console you'd play it that's the game it's finished it's done whereas now um games are are often launched uh, before they're kind of ready or they, they with known bugs 
um, and the the refinements come after. Um, I think in one particular case with Ubisoft, I think it was one of their Assassin's Creed games, which are very pop, very popular. It launched and it was really broken, and there was loads of issues, and it just the backlash was just awful. It was a serious brand damage there because they they launched something that wasn't ready to go, but they committed to the date and uh, didn't weren't in, weren't flexible enough. For us, prototyping is critical. We think it has a place in the development cycle of any service of any product. Uh, but it's also on a sliding scale. So you can start small testing, smaller big ideas, become more certain, and prototyping can become more elaborate uh, as you go through the process. Uh, it's great to be able to identify what users are really gonna care about, what your most important customers are gonna care about, and towards the end, it's really great to see how they're going to interact with the pro product uh, and get it closer to um, uh, uh, something that's gonna be really valuable used uh, out in the wild. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that again, you know, prototyping takes many forms. Uh, for me, a prototype would be the first moment that you can actually tangibly convey either to a team or to a user what the idea is and how that might actually take form. But ultimately, what you want to get to is a prototype that people can experience firsthand. Um, that's where the real value of prototype takes place. It's not what people have to say about your product, it's how people use it and how you can observe them. It's using it as always about behavior. And you don't have to have a team of developers building out a prototype for you. It can be can be ideas on paper that you can see. No, this actually won't work. You can you can sit down and user test a couple of pages with different different states of a screen or whatever, and find out whether an idea is good or not. And you know, then from there on, we always have medium fidelity uh, prototypes where we design stuff, with finished visual designs in Sketch, and we might use a tool like InVision, which basically strings together a sequence of screens with hotspots that when you click on them, takes you to the next page. So you get a, a kind of realistic view of how uh, a, a piece of software might work or an app or, or a website. An example of a high fidelity prototype can be seen on our Future of Banking showcase piece, where we did something up uh, in a relatively small uh, amount of time with a tool called Principle, and it, it, it can show kind of complex animations and interactions. And when you actually use that prototype, it feels like a finished product. And so when we were testing with people, it felt real, um, and you can get some really good feedback um, from a really highly polished prototype. I think that's, I know we're sort of talking about tools and the outputs of these things, um, but I think that's really interesting. And knowing where you should invest your time at the different stages is, is key. Knowing what questions you should be asking from each prototype stage. Like sometimes we get uh, asked to um, either prototype something very elaborate ourselves for, for a client or we're testing someone else's uh, elaborate prototypes. And you know that there are fundamental underlying issues with the approach they've taken or the, the tasks that they're, they're asking the user to perform. But yet they've invested a huge amount of time into uh, an interactive element, for instance, like an animation or uh, a way to interact uh, from a UI perspective. And I think knowing the type of prototype you're creating, or rather, excuse me, starting first with the question that you're trying to uncover and then creating the type of prototype that's needed to, to get that idea across. And Brian, you mentioned uh, behavior earlier on. I think that's the key thing. Uh, you want to create a prototype that is just enough to assess whether the behaviors you expect uh, or want the users to, to run through uh, are, are going to happen. And, and that means that you're only trying to spend the minimum amount of time and money uh, on the prototype as, as possible. It's just enough to illustrate your points. And I think that the future of banking thing is a really great idea because we want it to express not only 
um, some of the technical attributes or the, the features that the app should have, but also the way it should maybe feel and a slickness to it that, uh, that uh, would complement the experience. And that's why using a tool like Principle at that point became a really smart thing to do because it had to have a level of reality or polish to it that if we just had a paper prototype that we'd just thrown up online, um, it wouldn't have had the same sort of uh, seriousness or weight to it. So I think understanding the questions that you're trying to ask or the impact you're trying to have for your for your client, that will inform the type of prototype choices that you're going to make. As one final thing I want to say is that all products, all good products carry their own rhetoric. And my understanding is that that rhetoric is a response to a very good question that's been asked from the outset and prototypes help support that question. Okay, thanks very much for your time today, guys. Um, where can we find out more on your thoughts? Well, I'm on Twitter as Brian underscore Goff because some other guy has Brian Goff. He tweets an awful lot about football, but I tweet about various things, mainly design, but also um, occasional things about cats, maybe. And my Twitter handle is at Brian Goff with no underscore. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. It's, uh, it's Brian Heron with two oars, and I tweet very, very rarely. And I'm at Tom C Design. I tweet about design technology. So more information check out our website, eachanother.com. Till next time.